What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. Got Craig Temple on. Craig lives, uh, well, we'll have Craig introduce himself. However, um, before we get rolling on on Craig, this is going to be a, a great podcast. Just as a, as a preface, Craig has 96 big game animals down um, on his in his lifetime. So we're going to be talking a lot about hunting. Got a really nice whitetail that he just got the other day or the other week. So we're going to definitely dive into that story. Um, before we get there, just couple quick real quick uh sponsors want to throw out a couple partnerships onyx maps if you don't know onyx check them out venado uh venado makes custom like lifestyle apparel so you guys can go uh look at their stuff great christmas stuff i know it's really late it's after christmas but if you didn't get christmas gifts and you want to get them and pretend like you bought them and they just didn't come in time which i've done many times <laughs> go visit venado Check out their check out their gear. They got uh, just hoodies, uh, t-shirts, pants, vests, all that fun stuff. Jackets, flannels. The flannels are phenomenal. Go check those guys out. And then lastly, Vector Custom Shop. They make custom arrows. So send them the specs on your bow. Tell them what type of animal you're hunting. They'll kind of put a rough rough uh, arrow together. Make sure that it's actually like specked out for your bow, so you're not just running into Cabela's and and picking anything off the shelf that you think looks cool. All right. So with that, um, jumping into Craig. Craig, why don't you throw it, go ahead and introduce your, yourself and what uh, your company, Higher Ground, and all that all that jazz. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on here. Much appreciated. Um, we, uh, yeah, I best basically, oh, geez, what about <laughs> me? The name's Craig Temple. Um, and yes, I own a company called Higher Ground Media. Um, I work in a machine shop. I'm a machinist by trade. So that's what I do full time. And then on the side, I do higher ground media. So that is uh, photo and some video work for the outdoor industry um, for some brands, partnered up with some great companies and, uh, and do photos and some video for them as well. Um, been hunting for 25 years now, which is crazy. So that puts me at 37 years old because I started at, uh, at 12. Um, and I've got a wife that I've been married to for 15 years and she's super supportive and probably far, far too, um, lenient with my hunting time. Um, <laughs> we've got three super cute little kids, a uh, 12 year old daughter, 10 year old boy and an eight year old daughter and home is Sure Park, Alberta, which is basically right on the edge of the Edmonton Bow Zone. Um, I think everybody sort of knows where the Edmonton Bow Zone, if you haven't, Google it and you'll see some big whitetail pictures. <laughs> yeah. So we got lots of moose, uh, moose in the backyard, whitetails in the backyard. Um, I don't hunt those ones. My wife said those ones are pets, so I go a couple <laughs> miles away and hunt their cousins. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that get kicked out. Exactly. Sometimes I might push them out of the yard if they're too big. <laughs> start airing up your dirty laundry outside <laughs> play in the yard kids i'm going to the tree stand yeah oh that's fantastic yeah um, yeah anything else any anything else to describe you um what like machinist are you like cnc or what do you like are you machinist. um i can run cnc's i uh, work in a company for a company called dynaflow control valve services so i've been there for 15 years control valves for the oil field um did manual machining there a bunch and then jumped into the supervision and uh basically babysit adults all day long and schedule things and um it's all right it's it's good it has as good days as bad days but uh, they're super good to me. They treat me well, um, pays our bills, everything we need, lots of things that we want. And 
I've, I get five weeks paid vacation from there. So that definitely helps out with the hunting. And once again, having a good wife that's like, yeah, you could use a bunch of those holidays for hunting. Um, that helps out too. So yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's the day job and that's 45, 50 hours a week, whatever. So trying to squeeze in hunting around that hunting stuff around that is, is always a chore, but go, go, go. And, and yeah, I, I honestly, like, I believe in like working hard to play hard, but also being like super, super persistent. So when it's hunting time, like I, I, I don't give up, like there's, I don't give up. You never, I never, I never give up. I never stop. So when the camera coming home early, no, I don't think I've ever come home early from a hunt. I don't care if it's snowing, raining, hailing, what it is, I'll be out there. Killed some big deer and big moose in the rain too. So they like the rain stuff. Man, I think that's, so that's one, I mean, that's a great transition because A, I, I think I, I agree with you. I have not been a manager. I am just starting a role as a manager. I'll be starting a role in, in 23 and I get to hire my own team. So I'm on my third, I have to hire four people and I'm on, I'm, I think my third hire is going to sign today actually. So like I have a little bit of, of, uh, of ability to organize my own team there, but um, I can see why I've talked to a lot of managers, not within my company, but outside of my company. And they're like, dude, management kind of sucks if you just have to babysit. Like yeah. that's not, like, yeah. you think yeah. you're like moving up the company. It's just like, oh no, you're just like working with people who are always late, HR problems. Like yeah. you're not actually, you feel like you don't do anything at the end of the day besides like organize. Yeah. To, to an extent. I mean, if you get to pick your own team, which is sweet, but you're always going to have problems. People, anywhere there's people, there's problems, right? Whether you got them at work, whether you got them within family, whatever it is, there's always going to be problems. I think the biggest thing like as a, as a manager supervisor is don't ever, if you don't think in your head that you're above the, your people, then you won't act like you're above your people and people will respect a leader that will actually lead. So when there's a crappy job to get done, get your hands dirty, get in there, get it done, show them, lead by example that you're not above them and you can do it. Right. And it's, it's, a, it's a mutual respect thing, right? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I ask you for some overtime and you give in the overtime, when you say, Hey dude, can I leave an hour early? Hey, no problem right? You go home early. Next time I need overtime, you're going to be willing to help me out on overtime if you at all can, right? right? So it's basically a, it's a team thing. And if you don't think of it as being above um, your team, it's just, you need, the team needs a leader and you get to be the leader. So it's actually a pretty cool opportunity to build relationship and respect and, and lead the team in the direction that you want them to go rather than everybody being like, uh, now what do we do? Right? Yeah. So how long, how long have you been a supervisor? Oh, gee, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe eight years, somewhere eight, around there. Okay. Around there. So, yeah. yeah, the thing, so everybody on my team is older than me and they've been in the industry longer than me. And I'm high, I'm like, I just ended up in this position kind of through being here for a little bit longer. And then, and then except like excelling, like I did, I've done pretty well at the company. So, um, so like, Hey, do you want to be the next regional manager for this area. Um, so then when I've hired these people, some of these people are like, you're going to, I'm like, I'm reporting to you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of a joke, right? At the yeah. same time though, like I've kind of in my mind, uh, so I grew up in the construction industry and they like construction guys, they smell like weakness and they pounce on it, right? They're not, they're not shy about making fun of you, making you feel bad and wanting to send you home early, right? Like that's what they do. Um, 
So what I've kind of taken the approach of is very similar to what you say is like when I've talked to these people, it's like, technically I'm going to be your manager, but I'm more along the lines of here to just like put up the guardrails for you and support you however you need help. Like, and let you do your thing. I'm hiring you because I know you're good at your job and I want you to do your job. And I'm just here to like help you on the back end for admin bullcrap that you got to get through. For sure. That's, for sure. is that, I mean, do you think that's the right, like, that's the right yeah, approach? For sure. Yeah. I mean, like I, I've got guys at the shop that have been, I mean, I've got a guy that's been machining for longer than I've been alive. And, uh, and so I'll give him jobs and sometimes he'll be like, well, how do you want me to do it? And I think a big thing that builds respect, if you know the guy can do it and he has the skills say, well, you know how to do it. I don't need to tell you how to do it. So I'll give you the freedom, flexibility, do it however you want we just need to get it done. So you just do whatever you want to do. And if you need special tools or you need a handy, let me know. But other than that, I'll just let you go and have the freedom and flexibility to, to do how you, cause you're, I mean, you're better than me at it, right? You've been around for longer. And so when they're like, oh, this guy's giving me the freedom to actually do it, not, you don't want to lord over people and be like, well, do it this way. If there's right. like machine, there's many different ways to do it. So my way, your way, as long as we end up at the same end result and it doesn't take you three times longer, then give her. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. That, and that makes sense. Yeah. That's one of the things. So like I'm in, I'm in sales and it's kind of like, there is no right or wrong way to sell as long as like they, they sign the, they sign the deal. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't really care as long as you're honest. Like I, I can't have like liars. I'm like, like sleazy sales guys. <laughs> like I can't have that. But besides that, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, um, give her. yeah, no, I, that makes sense. So you were talking about, um, before we got into that, you said you have five weeks of, of time off and, and being extremely persistent. One of the things I wanted to ask you is that, do you think that is like, what do you think the main driver, having killed 96 animals in 25 years, that's like almost, that's just about four, four animals a year, four big game animals a year. And a lot of people struggle to put down like one or two, yeah. right? Do you think persistence is like your number one attribute that helps you be successful? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's there. I mean, there's, a, there's a bunch of different things. Persistence is my number one deadly weapon. Um, another one, I mean, let's, let's not lie. Living in Alberta is full of opportunity, right? It's not as easy as some people think. I have lots of people that think that just because a person lives in Alberta, it's easy to kill stuff. Um, there is good opportunity and you can get good tags, but it's not easy to kill stuff. Um, so I think another thing is, is paying attention to wildlife habits as well as their tendencies to how they travel, where they're going to be at certain times of the year. And, uh, and a big thing is like, I don't know, like if I'm going to take time off and go, I'm not going to take, like, I'm not going to hunt whitetails, um, the third week of September that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not even like this year. I didn't even, I didn't go sit in a tree stand for whitetail until, gee, I think I came back from the sheep hunt. I think, I don't think I sat in a tree stand for whitetail till like November. I took my daughter out a couple of times, but I had a moose tag in my pocket, right? Um, in, in early September. But other than that, it's like, I'm not going to waste my time hunting for something that I know is super low odds. If I'm going to hunt the last week of September, I'm going to be hunting moose because that's the moose rut. So I'm going to book my time. If I'm going to spend time in the bush, I'm going to strategically spend it. Um, because I don't want to blow animals out of there, but also it's like, why would I sit somewhere when nothing, I know nothing's going to move during daylight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So 
So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And how, like, are you able to kind of schedule your time off? Like, do you plan it around weather at all? Or do you have to pick like weeks way in advance? I usually pick it. I usually pick it in advance. So right now I'm working through this upcoming fall, my plans for this upcoming fall. I got a bunch of different irons in the fire. I'm probably going to do another film project for a Hoyt launch project for their 2024 bows. That would be so just working through the logistics on that. Um, I don't want to spill the beans on what I'm planning there, but it should be pretty fun hunt um, for that. And so that'll be, that'll be next fall. And then possibly go to the States. I've never hunted. Well, I've hunted once outside of Alberta and uh, actually we're on video right now. This won't be recorded on film, but over my shoulder, I've got a caribou in uh, in the background there that's the only animal i've hunted outside of alberta um that was in british columbia and i was hosted by a friend for that but otherwise i've gone outside of alberta to film hunts and photograph hunts but never really hunted outside of alberta so i may take a friend up on an offer and go to the states this year not sure yet um but other than that it'll be uh it'll be local fairly local stuff maybe do some floating on a river and try something new and yeah should be should be good but i book stuff basically plan stuff now plan stuff early in the year book my vacation days from work and because i have seniority because i've been there for 15 years i'm pretty flexible the only really one other guy that we spell off for each other when there's an absence the other guy's like i don't know sounds bad but he has no life so he just basically says pick whatever days you want and i'll fill in somewhere else i'm like sweet yeah Oh, that's, that's nice to have a counterpart like that. My, my counterparts all hunt. So (laughs) company, (laughs) right. So we, yeah, there's times in, in September and November where it's like, who are you trying to get a hold of? Oh, I'm trying to get a hold of Luke. Yeah. You're not gonna, (laughs) even if he does have reception, he's not answering. (laughs) All right. Oh, that's okay. So picking, picking everything in advance and kind of like, uh, based on, based on rut. Cause you, do you have, are you able to hunt elk? I, you have to be able to hunt it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I shouldn't say, are you able to, is it within like geographic, like where you want to? So you got moose, you got elk, you got whitetails, you got muleys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Muleys. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and we've got bighorn sheep you can hunt and over the counter and antelope is a, like a 10 year wait um and then you can hunt bears in the spring or fall whatever you want but yeah so for for all those it's it's all different times um and it all depends on when you want to go how you want to go about it and uh but yeah i basically hunt the whole province so the entire province so it's like i don't know six seven eight hours south or six seven eight hours north wherever i want to go four hours west to the mountains or three four hours east to the saskatchewan border wherever i want to hunt um, i pick my species and sort of i don't know you build you build a little over the years you build um uh sort of a, a process and a list of like okay i know where there's pockets of elk and i know where there's really good mule deer and i've built relationships with these farmers to hunt there and i i don't want to go at this time of year because uh, if I'm going to go bow hunt moose up north, I don't want to deal with all the rifle elk hunters or vice versa, right? So it's like, or you got to go super deep if you're going into the forest up north and get away from the quads and, and stuff like that. So there's definitely challenges. It's not just like, oh, I'll just pick here on the map and go and there won't be anybody else. There's still lots of guys that hunt in Alberta, so. Yeah, and that's, I I definitely agree. And, and with the, in Alberta, so remind me how this works i've hunted in alberta once i'm looking up exactly where i was uh i was in jasper national park 
Yeah, you better not have been hunting there because you should be in jail right now. <laughs> no, no, like, yeah, no, not like I would. That was the closest national park to us. Yeah. Um, and we were, were on the edge of it. I can't remember the town we were in. I want to say the closest one was like Grand Cache. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like where we were. I guess that's closer to Wilmore. I'm just yeah. kind of looking this up on where we were. Um, yeah, I knew we went to, through Calgary and I did, this was a film trip for me, but oh, when I was there, um, one of the guys we were talking to was like, yeah, most of the land in Alberta is public, like public ground. If you're, if you're na like, if you're Canadian, you can kind of just go wherever. If you're, if you're from the States, you have to be with the guide and you got to go like with them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's well, so if you, anybody out, anybody within Alberta can pretty much hunt anywhere in Alberta when you buy your hunting licenses, right? Um, but I would say basically from Edmonton, so from the central part of the province and all the way south, almost all of that is private land. So you have to get permission. Now oh, it's okay. to pay for access to land and it's illegal for a landowner to accept payment to have access to land. So all access to private land in Alberta has to be basically a relationship built, a handshake, some trust, and uh, and then you can go for it. So you, you can't just walk onto people's private land and go hunting anywhere in Alberta. So it's you have to ask. So for, for all the mule deer stuff, for almost almost all the whitetail stuff, there's little pockets here and there of, of public land in the south half of the province. Most yeah for the north half of the province a lot of it the, the top third anyway that's all all crown land all public land you can just basically go right um, yeah, so there okay. is lots of lots of places if you don't want to ask permission and you just want to hunt public there's lots of places you can go there's there's great animals there's boone and crockett animals that live on public land right um and then uh so yeah that was that's that's how land access yeah. works here um yeah, because when you, when you think of, when I think of the Bozone, like I'm from Wisconsin and yeah. like I'm an ignorant American. Okay, yeah. we'll start there. So like when I think of the Bozone, I think it's like big woods, giant, giant whitetails that like, can you bait? Because I always feel like I see hay. No, you can't. So you're probably seeing a lot of Saskatchewan stuff if you're seeing baiting. It's illegal to bait here. Um, you can't hunt over that stuff. Um, I steer 100%. I think you're allowed to put like minerals out. And I haven't even looked into the rules, but I think you're allowed to put minerals out in the summer or something, but you have to clear them out before. I don't know. I don't touch the stuff because I'm a firm believer that it, it, it's a slippery slope. If I if I put minerals out and I get trail cam pictures of a deer on minerals, people are going to assume that I bait and hunt over bait illegally. So I'm like, nope, that's a slippery slope. I don't even want to be associated with it. I won't touch it. I'm not interested, right? Um, so it is big bush. So it, yes and no. Um, where the Edmonton Bozone is, a lot of it is like parkland county. So there's lots of pasture, lots of um, 40, 60, 80, 100 acres of alfalfa surrounded by bush. Um, there's not really lots of huge bush. Um, for the most part, it's like a big property is 160 acres, lots of 40 acre, lots of 80 acre pieces. And uh, almost every property has guys hunting there and getting permission in the bow zone is next to impossible. Like, I mean, I went and asked for, I think I was, went and asked for 12 or 15 properties this spring all of them were no, 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 no. I either I have somebody hunting here. I don't like hunters or no, I hunt here myself or whatnot. Right. So there is a lot of hunting pressure. Um, and the east side of the bow zone where I live, you can hunt with primitive weapons in October, November and the first week of December. So primitive weapons being muzzleloader, shotgun and crossbow. 
So those poor deer get hammered hard. So if you go on the west side of the bow zone, you can get the Boone and Crockett deer. I've honestly never seen a Boone and Crockett deer in my east side because I believe that everything that hits 130, 140 class just gets hammered by the neighbors or whatever, right? If yeah. they travel during the rut, they're going to get killed. So um, for the most part, lots of lots of deer, not lots, but you'll find a good deer is like 130, 140, maybe 150. I think I've killed a couple in the 160, but yeah, that's that's hard to find a deer like that around here, honestly. So what was what was the one you just got? Did you uh, it was one. I think he grosses one. I just roughed him. I think he's like 145 gross score. Um, so as like an eight point mainframe eight. Yeah. Yeah, mainframe eight. Actually, again, nobody can see it, but that's him right there, the year over my shoulder on the wall. Oh, so nice. just a tall, he's got one broken, one broken brow tine. He broke like the day before I shot him and he's got matching stickers on his G2s and um, long beams, not tons of mass, but long beams, tall tines, pretty cool deer. So is that east side or west side? Yeah, no, that's, I almost all do east side because I live on the east side. So for me to drive all the way around town and then I know permissions tied up over there. So um, I, I usually just hunt somewhat close to home. So this was actually a new property this year, um, got permission on there and it's a it's a deadly funnel and pinch. It's lots of open stuff. And there's this like one strip of bush that I got permission on. And uh, it's this pinch basically, it just, it pinches down. There's like a creek in the bottom and there's a flat, it's, it's super steep on each side to get, you, you almost have to crawl down this bank to get to where my stand is there. And then there's a creek that goes through the bottom and there's one flat spot. Um, there's bush and stuff up around, but it basically funnels down and pinches. And right at this pinch, it's like there's 25 yards of flat in the bottom of this valley. And if they're gonna travel, they have to walk by me. Sorry, boys, you can't get around me, so. <laughs> Um, so yeah, set up there and I, I shot this one. I actually missed him a week before I shot him, which sucks. <laughs> oh man. I, uh, yeah, I missed him a week before I shot him and, uh, I was after another one. There's another one bigger than him in there. So he's, uh, I gotta go check cameras. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's still in there and he'll be even bigger next year. So I just spoke tags. Pardon me? You get two tags. Yeah, so you get you can have a general tag, which is just the over the counter tag in um, that works for for most zones in all of Alberta, and right. then uh, and then we've got what's called a Strathcona whitetail tag. So that's for for sounds crazy, but for twenty eight dollars you get three tags. You can shoot one buck and two does, or you can shoot shoot three does, and that's basically October twenty fifth to December seventh, and archery, crossbow, muzzle loader, or shotgun, and that has to be in Strathcona County, which is where I live. So. Yeah, so for $28, you can shoot. I, I try not to shoot does. Um, I know in the States, uh, from what I see, sometimes it's like you guys' deer population goes through the roof and you'll see lots of deer in a sit. So if I sit a full day daylight till dark, I'll be happy if I see two deer in a day, right? Like I'd be quite happy, like from a daylight to dark sit. So I usually don't see a lot of deer. Um, Whereas some, sometimes I don't know we're down in Wisconsin or whatever, but like, sometimes I'll see videos of guys like, I'm like, dude, there's like 50 deer in the field. Like, holy <laughs> smokes. Right. Yeah. Like if we sat in the field here, it's like, you might have two does and a little buck be out in the field. So there's the deer population isn't super high. So, um, if I want more bucks, probably shouldn't shoot those things that make the bucks. <laughs> 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 right. No, that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. And yeah, I would agree. Like in Wisconsin, if I, if I was hunting during the rut and I saw only two deer, I'd be like, it was a really slow day. Like I would expect, like if I'm sitting nice funnel, like what you're talking, I would expect at least, you know, a three, four in the morning and then three, four in the evening. 
you know, something like that. Um, like if, if I'm in a good funnel and I'm sitting there all day, maybe a couple cruising through midday, you know, opening day for gun season for us, um, which is the Saturday before Thanksgiving. So that's like November 22nd, which is like the very tail end of our rut. Like there might be a couple like poking around for that. I saw like opening morning, I sat till noon and we saw like nine, I think saw nine shot one doe. Um, so yeah, I mean, when we have, we have a whole boatload of does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for, for us, it's kind of one of those, um, one of those scenarios. I have a buddy who lives like eight miles away in his property and he has like no does. So mm-hmm. he has a lot of bucks. He sees his, he's like a 75, 25 and bucks to does and what he sees. And I'm more the total opposite. I'm 25, 75, sees 25% bucks, 75% does. So, you know, and, and the idea, I guess, you know, management, there's a whole lot of things that go into management, but less does generally would equate to more bucks, like searching for does, right? Um, okay. That'd be the idea. And so they move more. However, I think it's all cyclical, but yeah. I know for, for me, like I just, my freezer is almost empty. So it's like, Ooh, we gotta, <laughs> if you're, if, yeah, if you're legal, if you're legal, you're, you're getting it. So, and we just start our, we have a holiday hunt in Wisconsin, which I am not really a fan of, but it makes it only does for the whole, from Christmas Eve to the day after new year's, you can only shoot does, but you can use any weapon. So rifle, shotgun, crossbow, hmm. um, vertical bow, recurve, whatever. So yeah, it's a, it, it's interesting, but we also, I mean, we have a, we've never hit like people talk about hitting quotas for elk and quotas for sheep and all that. Right. Wisconsin's never even come close to touching quota for whitetail. Like we always have more tags to buy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, different, awesome. <laughs> different way of living here. <laughs> Sure. No, everything's, it's everybody that I talk to, it's everything's different everywhere. I mean, you hunt different places in the province here, you go up further north for whitetails and it's the big boreal forest and you sit daylight till dark, you'd be lucky to see one deer, right? You go yeah. south and I don't know, there's pockets where there's basically no whitetails and it's all mule deer or vice versa, right? So yeah. yeah, lots of, lots of variation. You go in the south part of the province and it's like flat, like you can see for like, as far as the eye can see, it's just flat, right? And you go up north and it's just, it's all spruce trees, uh, or it's all big open poplars, right? Or where I'm at, like where it's so thick here with like where the moose love to hang out. Like it's, I don't know, you can't shoot 10 yards in the bush. Like you can't see 10 yards. It's so, so thick here. Right. So, um, so I mean, have you killed a moose up there? Oh yeah. 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 So, So, I mean, are you shooting them at like five yards? Uh, like you're talking the bow zone here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the moose I shot this year, um, I shot him at 10 yards, right? So that was on the ground and he was, that was a big bull. He was like 49 inches. So almost a 50 inch bull. That was a big bull. Yeah. And last year I had a draw and I killed a, uh, I killed a 50 inch bull last year with my bow, but those are my two biggest archery bulls just happened to be back to back and recent. Um, but before that, I think I've shot 12 moose with the bow now. I think I'm somewhere around 12 moose with a bow. So it's, uh, yeah, it's over the counter tag here. Again, permission is tough. Um, and I've shot, I shot one moose, um, two moose. What I think 2018, I shot a moose at like five yards on the ground. So I was kneeling on the ground and he was coming in, shot him at five yards. I shot one, a 40 inch bull several years back. I think that was 2013 and I shot him at three yards. So 
for lots of people that haven't seen a moose or don't know how big a moose is, a moose is flipping huge. So I've taken a tape measure and from the bottom of their hoof to the top, the hump on their shoulder is seven feet tall on a mature bull. So you're looking like, if you look at your door frame, a moose will not fit through your door frame, right? The hump on his shoulder, he'll have to duck his head to fit through, but he would also have to crouch to get his shoulder through that door frame. So, and then you put big antlers up on top of them and they can be close to 10 feet tall to the top of their antlers. That's like, I mean, your ceiling is probably what, eight foot ceilings, right? So yeah, um, yeah it's a moose will not fit inside your room. So you think about that. And then you think about tiny little Craig here, kneeling on the ground at full draw and a moose at three yards. You actually have to aim up at him. <laughs> it's crazy and then uh, yeah that moose i shot and he basically he he wheeled around and it went through his heart he wheeled around didn't know what had happened and i just kept my bow arm out because i was like don't move or he'll like trample you and he took five steps and he was looking around and he just sort of wobbled and tipped over and yeah it was crazy he was rubbing a tree five yards from me before and i had the wind good and as he was rubbing the tree um the it was right uh it was the end of September when all the leaves are falling here, a poplar tree. And the the leaves from the, that poplar tree that he was rubbing were landing on me. That's how close he was to me. So it was it was a rush. It was a rush. I, I thought, That's wild. The end of me, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a riot. So yeah, moose are, moose are fun. Moose are super big. Once you get them on the ground, every time I walk up to them, I'm like, oh, crap. This is so much work now. So much work. And most of the properties I hunt, thick bush and... <laughs> And when I ask for permission, I tell them it'll be foot access only, and I will backpack out anything that I shoot. So, um, so I'm not going to be cutting trails with the quads. Won't be cutting fences. Basically, you won't know that I'm there. Um, so, um, yeah, quarter them, put them in game bags, strap them to a backpack, and carry them out one piece at a time. So, it takes a lot of work, but that's uh, that's that's how you do it. And there, that's so. I mean, that's wild, and that's why I was like close range moose. That's one of the things that I, that is a, uh, a, a I want to say like a bucket list, a dream home of mine is yeah. just being able to, cause we don't have, I mean, we have moose in Wisconsin rarely, but you can't yeah. hunt them at all. So got to probably go to Canada or something like that to, to hunt them. And then, you know, yeah, like you said, three yards, like if you're crouching, like, yeah, you're like, <laughs> that yeah. is nuts. Did you, did you call him in? Yeah. 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 So that one I had called, I think almost all the moose I shoot are called in, right? So uh, the one I called this year, I cow called and he came thrashing through the bush and, and came up to 10 yards and, and shot him that one at three yards on the ground. I had been cow calling and he would grunt to me, but he was with another cow. Um, so I basically cut the distance in half and gave him a good old bull grunt and raked a bunch of trees. And uh, that was enough to set him off. And he came crashing as hard as he could just head down bulldozing through the trees. Um, so yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a rush. I actually tried something new last year, um, which was an absolute riot is, uh, uh, you know, those basically the, the decoy moose heads, um, ultimate predator, yeah. um, they make, um, heads up decoys. They make, so I had one of those and I had a black hoodie and a friend had told me, put a black hoodie on it and one of those moose heads and you might think you're crazy, but try it. So um, I found a bull, the bull, the 50 inch bull. And I was like, he's with two cows and he wouldn't come to me. So I, he would grunt to me, but he wouldn't come to me. So I was about 75 yards away. So I basically got down in the willows and I took the black hoodie out of the backpack, slid it on over top everything. I mounted the decoy to my bow. I stood up, I grunted, he turned and looked and he saw the moose head with like the white paddle on it. 
and he just started basically rototilling the ground with his antlers and started swaying like crazy. And I walked in at one point, I was like 15 yards from him. Um, but I was walking through the wide open to him wearing the black and he was just, he was just so pissed off that he wouldn't leave. And the cows knew something was up, but every time they'd go to leave, I'd grunt again and they'd stop and turn and look back. And, and I managed to walk up and I pinwheeled him at, I think it was 37 yards last year. So, but I had him at 15, but the bush was too thick. He couldn't shoot. Right. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah no, Dude, it's a that's a, that's a wild hunt, man. That's so cool. So are you going to do that tactic again? Yeah, I'll definitely. Yeah. The black and the decoy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, but, the, this year I had the black hoodie and I had the decoy, but it wasn't on my bow. Um, Cause I figure if, if I can stay hidden from them, great but if they'll hold up then i'll put on the black hoodie so uh, it was in my backpack and i cow called and nothing and then all of a sudden this bull grunted and ran to me it was like he was at 10 yards within like probably 15 seconds of me hearing his his first grunt so it happened it happened super fast with those long legs they can cover ground so fast yeah are you with those are you seeing them first or are you hearing them you're just hearing them yeah you're hearing them it's like i said it's so so thick here um you, like you literally have to like swim through willows for the most part. So, um, you're, yeah, it's, it's so thick. You can't see lots of times you can't see if you get a moose at five yards and that stuff, you can't get an arrow through. So it's, uh, it's thick, super, super thick. So then, I mean, when you're setting up, are you, are you keeping that in mind? Like, okay, I need to like have some sort of like opening. Like if you hear them and you're moving in, you're like, all right, where can I find like a five yard opening? And that's yep. kind of where I'm setting up. Yeah. And there's lots of like, there's little slew bottoms and there's beaver ponds and stuff like that around. So you can sort of, um, you can sort of play it that way, um, get close to that. And they like to travel through They're They're not like a whitetail, but they are, they do like, they'll follow funnels, right? So if you've got a swamp leading to another swamp and there's a little pinch in the middle of it, they'll travel down through there. So I, a lot of the white, uh, a lot of the moose, sorry, um, I actually use whitetail tactics for them. So I will set up a tree stand. Most of the moose I've shot, I've shot from a tree stand. I've shot some, some from the ground, probably half from the ground and half from a tree stand, but get up in a tree stand and just cow call, cow call and grunt. And uh, if there's a bull in the area, he'll come check you out. So, so okay. Like how long does it take for them to get there? Listening to the meat eater, it seems like it can, it can take them like 20 minutes or it can take them like two days. Yeah. So if they hear you, like I've had it before where I'll sit in a tree stand and I'll call at night, like call in the afternoon or evening and I'll have a bull grunting and he won't come. He'll be held up at like a hundred yards and he won't come and he won't come. It gets dark. I sneak out of there. I come back the next morning, call at daybreak. He's still at a hundred yards away, but now he comes. Right. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting how, how it'll work. I had actually hosted a friend, um, a few years ago and we made a film out of it. Um, if a person looks up, if you Google like, oh, geez, opportunity knocks on guide fitter, um, that'll bring up the, bring up the film. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Moose film. He shoots the moose. I was filming. He shoots the moose at like eight yards away. We were in a tree stand. Um, but really good bull, 40 inch bull. And that was on, that was on public land here in the, in the bow zone. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, no, they, we had heard that bull the night before and we're like, well, let's, let's call to him. And he had grunted to us the night before, but wouldn't come. So we got back in the same tree stand and called to him next morning. And sure enough, he, he came in. Oh man, yeah. that, that's way cool. And you mentioned, you mentioned you hosted him because there was one thing I feel like I remember 
like a like a, a U.S. citizen cannot go to Canada and just go on the public land. You have to go with somebody. Is that what you mean by hosting? Yeah, sorry, you had actually asked me this question earlier, and I didn't That's answer. All right. Um, so if you're an Alberta resident, you can hunt wherever. Um, if you're a, um, Canadian resident, so any of the other provinces or territories in Canada, I, you can't just come, I can host, right? So I can host, I can't accept money or gear or any kind of favor in exchange for me bringing you to hunt. But as a Canadian, you can come hunt and you can come hunt with me every single year, but I have to you have to come hunt under me and I have to hunt with you. So we have to be in direct communication at all times, but we hunt together. I can carry a bow, you can carry a bow, we can hunt together. Now, anybody outside of Canada, we consider a non-resident alien is what they call them. So American, German, anywhere in the world, right? Um, you can come, I can only host one American every three years. So if I were to host an American this year, I have to take two years off and then I can host again. Um, you have to fill out reports and stuff like that saying what you harvested and this and that and the other thing. Um, and you have to apply to the government in uh, for non-resident alien. I think it's like b before August or something, you have to apply. The Fish and Wildlife Office has to, you have to like basically swear an oath that you're not going to accept money and stuff like that. And then those papers I have to mail to the person in the States and they have to go before like a, uh, I don't know, notary and they have to basically swear that they're not paying me anything um so in order to do that like when wade uh, had come for the moose hunt we both had to swear that and we were going to make a film and we we're going to make the film together but i was like well no like i actually talked to fish and wildlife before i was like i want to make sure that i do this 100 percent legal and i was like can i if we do a project in a film can i accept money for my work on the film and they're like yeah it's kind of a gray area we suggest you don't and i was like all right won't so we made the film and and wade sold the film and and i was happy to just i mean i would have done it for for nothing right which we did um which i did um but yeah it's just you can't it's a slippery slippery dangerous don't don't get caught because if you get caught it's it would get ugly right so yeah yeah you just need a host you just need a host that's, that's willing to take you so for example for yourself um, you could, if you had somebody in Alberta that would host you here, you could come probably what you did before you could come here, be hosted by them and you could buy over the counter elk, whitetail, mule deer, moose tag, whatever you want. If the zone is open for it, you could hunt on that. And, uh, yeah. And it's like, I don't know, I forget. It's like $200 for a tag or something for non-residents. It's $40 for me for a moose tag, which is crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, that's awesome. But B. I, I remember hearing that. So when I was talking to our guy, we were at an outfitter. Um, and when I was talking to the guide, he was like, yeah, you can't, you can't just like, I was like, dude, this is all public. So I could just come up here and hunt this. He was like, oh no, <laughs> no, you can't. Cause in the States, like, it doesn't matter if you're a resident of a different state, you can always hunt. If it's public ground, you can hunt it. Doesn't right. matter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's something interesting to, to, point out about hunting in in canada like i mean you said everything south of edmonton is pretty much private but everything north like people might be like oh i could go up there and do that and the answer is like no not really you can but you need to be hosted by a canadian by an alberta resident right. yeah you gotta find you gotta find a friend yeah, yeah exactly yeah so, and lots of, i don't know lots of times it depends on who the person is some people will take you right but sometimes it's like the list is very long of people that would love to come hunt in alberta right so it's like i i don't beat around the bush with people it's like sorry i that's probably not gonna happen so i'm not gonna keep your hopes up right really because it's like you can only take somebody every three years yeah I don't know. You have to pick and choose wisely, I guess. For sure. You got more than 10 friends. You're looking more than 30 years out. 
<laughs> if I had 10 friends, man, that'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so, all right, jumping out back out of the moose and into the whitetail, we like touched on the whitetail and then we like left it. So yes. I want to get back to it. So you, you got this new property. It's a funnel. It's a, it's like a nice pinch and you missed that buck. So yes. let's a, a week prior, what have like, what happened? Like, are, I mean, are you just sitting, hanging out all day, waiting for him to come cruising by? That one, well, that one I zipped out of work um, early. It was fairly close to my work. So I zipped out of work early, scrambled there, got up in the tree and right at last light, this buck came in. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a, heard of a thing called buck fever. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. nope, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so yeah, no, he came in and oh, man, it's almost embarrassing to even say it, but he was only 14 yards away. I drew back and as soon as I saw that stupid deer through my peep sight, my brain just went it just shorted out <laughs> it melted <laughs> it just shorted out and i ripped the arrow probably i don't know a foot or two feet over his back and then i was like what just happened right um so yeah no embarrassing as it is it, i don't know it's it's tough because it's like it's a double-edged sword i want to get worked up by deer i want to get excited when i see deer because that's one thing that keeps me coming back for it and i yeah. would love it want to be so numb that it's just like oh here comes a 150 inch deer you draw back you shoot it your heart heart rate doesn't climb you don't get that adrenaline rush it's like oh great now i have to do work and drag this thing out you might as well just buy meat from costco or superstore at that point right yeah Um, so i want to get excited for animals but i don't want to get so worked up i have to figure out and i've got a few months to figure it out but i am working through shot process um joel turner's thing for like shot iq and target panic and stuff like that i've dealt with target panic lots in the past um and i thought i thought i was good and i had the uh, i'm using a silverback the back tent like actual attention activator release not a hinge attention activator release um but my brain figured out how to punch that thing too so um, (laughs) so anyways so it was making the decisions for me now i'm forced to be like you know what i actually have to make these decisions and i have to take ownership of it and be determined enough to figure out how to shoot properly in tense situations so it's all about decisions it's all about controlling your brain it's all about um essentially closed loop thinking so that your brain is working through the steps and through the process rather than your brain just sending a signal saying that'll work shoot it right so when you go that'll work shoot it no good you don't have control you should be working through it and basically saying okay now i'm going to start a movement that ends up firing my bow and it's that movement is too slow so you need to speed it up or it's too fast you need to slow it down you should be able to stop the shot at any point through the shot process um in order to shoot it properly so it's i'm i'm flinging a lot of arrows in the garage right now um retraining my brain and and getting those um those patterns into my brain of saying i'm going to shoot this shot perfect or i'm not going to shoot it at all and okay here we go and start pull 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 talking to yourself through the shot process makes a big difference right i I, far too often look at the deer and i'm like man that's a big deer he'll look good on my wall he's within bow range i'm just going to kill him well it doesn't work like that think about the deer on your wall after he's already dead so right now you have a job to do and that is shot execution with a perfect shot right right yeah. No, and that's, and that's, it's really, it's really refreshing to hear that from somebody who's, who's hunt, who hunts and kills as much as you do. Yeah. Right. Everybody. Yeah. At some 100%. point. 100%. And, and I don't even want to like knock on wood, but I had it real bad. Then I switched to a hinge and, and I started just, and I shoot the uh, ultra view hinge. 
And I just started walking through the process and I listened to a whole lot of shot IQ, Joel Turner podcasts and just kind of like started, I didn't, I didn't ever take his course or nothing, but started doing it. And I'm looking out here because that's where my range is. Um, I just started walking through the process all the time and just exit, like execute the shot, execute the shot. And, and like, I was always, my thing was hold to the right of the target and then move it. And then I'd pull it. And the big thing that really helped me in that sense was, um, was actually like a flat out like deer target without any circles or anything on it. It's just like a deer target. So you Mm -hmm. like, I just would just put the pin where I normally would want to, and then pull through the shot. And that seemed to really help me versus like, I always shoot a a Reinhardt 18 and one or Reinhardt block or whatever it is, whatever they call theirs. And those dots would always get me Yeah, like shooting dots just got me. Versus yeah. shooting a, a blank, a blank deer did not. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of different things. I mean, like ultimately some guys are like, oh, I don't deal with target panic. And my question would be, okay, so if you drop, say you shoot a, a index figure release, you draw back, put your finger behind the trigger so you're not gonna shoot it and put your pin dead center on that dot. Your pin will sit there and it will float all day long until you can't hold that bow anymore. Now I dare you to slowly put your finger on the front of the trigger. Your brain thinks, okay, we're gonna shoot now your bow arm will, for you, it would have moved to the right. For me, it would have dropped low. If it drops low and you can't get it back to sit and stay there, congratulations, you got target panic. You should probably work on that because it's going to screw you, right? Right. Uh, so that's basically that. And and you will, because I went from an index finger, I went to a hinge and I shot that really well for a couple of years until all of a sudden my brain figured out how to punch the hinge. Then I went to the tension activator release and it worked really well until this year, I figured out how to punch that. So now I'm like, mm, no, it's actually time to dig into this. So I just, I did buy right. the Turner shot IQ thing and I'm working through that, man, there's so much good info in there. I'm not like trying to sell his thing, but it, when you dig deep, like, cause I had tried the YouTube thing, like listen to as many little tidbits here and there, but then I bought the course and I was like, oh, that makes sense. There's so much more in the course that yeah. it's like, sense right so i don't know it's just how bad do you want it how serious are you going to get about it and uh, if you want it bad enough sometimes you just have to invest in it (laughs) yeah well and the the huge the the biggest selling point to shot iq for me is bodie yeah like bodie turner he's how old is he 16 17 years old and he's 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 winning all these like world stage tournaments it's like mm, the proof's in the pudding right so it's all about, yeah, it's all about decisions. And I don't know, I mean, we could dig into like the deepest rabbit hole with like target panic and shot process stuff. But it's like when you're shooting that movement, you should be going fast enough that you can feel the movement in your shot process, but you should be going slow enough that you could stop it at any time. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I, I agree. And I, whatever, I don't, AI, like I said, I haven't had the, I haven't had the course, but yeah, if you don't feel confident in the shot, you shouldn't take it, right? Yeah. Like that'll, that's definitely let, for me, like there were a couple of years where my bow setup wasn't, I wasn't like extremely confident, even out to like 40 yards and I'd have deer coming through at 40 be like, God damn, I should be able to kill you, but I can't, I'm not going to do it. Like I need you like 25 or less, buddy. Yeah. yeah, when you get, yeah, when you get, when you get an animal, I don't know. Sometimes I hear people say, and I'm not trying to knock anybody, but sometimes I hear people say like, Oh, I thought he was going to duck. So like I aimed at the bottom of his heart. Like, dude, as soon as you get adrenaline in your system and there's an animal in front of you, the game changes. Right. Right. So, and when people say, Oh, I made a bad shot or I missed, 
I don't ever judge anybody for that. I'm like, mm, you, yeah, you get an animal in front of you, the game changes. There's so many variables that animal can be. It can move, your adrenaline can be going, maybe you had bad footing, maybe your hand was sweaty, maybe you had a glove on that you didn't practice. There's so many things that can go, so many variables, right? Yeah. I think that's a big draw to bow hunting is it is such a challenge to kill an animal. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a buck, a doe, a moose, elk. It doesn't matter what it is. Try shooting a coyote with your bow. Those things are switched on. I'd say they're one of the hardest animals to kill with the bow is a coyote, right? Because yeah, they'll yeah. look up in a tree, right? They'll look up and see up in the tree. I don't know. It, killing an animal with a bow is no joke because you got to draw at the right time. You got to shoot at the right time. You got to aim. You got to shoot. It just everything. So yeah. many birds. I've always, I've always thought that like the closer the animal gets, like if it's under 20 yards, a yeah. recurve may be a better option than a compound just because of the ability to like not have to be in a perfect form. Right. In a sense, just like a three yard shot out of moose, like you could have shot that bow any way, shape or form and probably got it in there. Yeah. Right? Like for that shot, I think I just had both eyes open and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I just pulled the trigger. <laughs> right. I don't think there was anything going on. <laughs> right. Target panic, be damned. It's going to hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could have shot that thing with fingers. <laughs> right. Uh, so, okay. So yeah, it had the white tail. You, you, you swung and you missed. And I swung and missed two years ago on a, on a buck that was 25, 20. He, I shot him for 30. And he was at 25, 24 when I ranged him. I was yeah. looking at him through my peep and he took a couple steps like quarter to quarter away, which is like, yeah. that's exactly what you want. And yeah. when he took like one or two steps, my brain was just like, oh, he's at 30. Yeah. Right. And he took like, like I said, one or two steps. So he's at 26 and he ducked just a, like two inches, but it was enough for me to like just sky one over him, which thankfully I didn't like no man's land him. Um, yeah. I would have taken a spine on him and then just finished him, but yep, just flat out missed. And, and, uh, that would have been a, a great buck, but yeah, I mean, it ha like it happens. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so with the, so you miss him and it's that same buck. And then a week later, are you still hunting that? Like for that whole week, are you still hunting like after no, work? Or? I, I'm just trying to think what days I think, you know, I was, no, I, I had to, I missed the buck and then I had to go back to work for some time. I was still working and then I had days off coming up and then I sat on those days off um, and I ended up, I think on my first, I think on my first, yeah, the first sit of the days off, um, I actually killed another buck, um, a different, a wide five by five. Um, I shot him at like 12 yards um, one evening and uh and then i had more so that was the very beginning of my stretch of five days off and then at the very end of my stretch of five days off basically i had one more day it was on the sunday i had that that was basically going to be my last day to hunt this year and i climbed up in the tree and i told my wife i was like this is gonna be a daylight till dark sit um actually if i back up one day earlier on the saturday I decided I was going to sit this property for this buck or the one that was bigger than him. And I'm going to sit daylight till dark and I'm going to kill him. And my 12 year old daughter is just getting into hunting. She's like, dad, do you think you could take me one more time this year? I'm like, all right, I'll sit till noon and then I'll come pick you up, but be ready. We're going to go as soon as I get you. So I sat till noon and I walked by the trail camera at 1226 at 137 in the afternoon, the big buck that I was after walked past my tree stand at 14 yards. 
So the next morning when I checked the trail camera on my way to my stand, I was like, ah, he was there. <laughs> oh man, if I wasn't a dad and didn't have to, whatever. Anyways, we, <laughs> we made some great memories together. I don't regret a, a single bit of it. Um, but it's still, it's crazy that within one hour, an hour and 11 minutes later, that buck had walked by. Um, so anyway, yeah. So the Sunday I sat, I was going to sit day late till dark. I sat the morning. I had a couple little bucks come by and then uh, at about, I think it was like 1130. Um, I had a little five by five come in and bed down about 30 yards away from me. And I was like, oh, that's great. Off to my left. I was like, oh, that's great. Now I can't move. I can't eat a chocolate bar later. Like right. I, I'm, I'm pinned. I, he never saw me and I was up in a spruce tree, but I couldn't make any movement. It was breezy that day. So I basically just sat there and waited and waited and waited and I got this pinch and funnel in front of me and uh, there's a scrape underneath the one tree and it was I don't know 45 minutes later I guess it would have been I glanced off to my right and I was like oh there's a big deer and it was the buck that I ended up shooting I was like crap here he comes so I had to slowly stand up and slowly reach for my bow watching both bucks trying not to get seen and he basically, he came in, uh, same exact, it did exactly the same thing he had done a week before, except for this time it was 1215. So it was middle of the day. And I drew back when he walked behind the spruce tree and I was ready for him. And he, that trail camera video, he, he walks into the video. Um, it triggers the camera on, he takes like two steps and then he sees that other, the smaller buck bedded there in its peak of the rut. He sees the smaller buck and he pins his ears back at the smaller buck and it's like one step later and all of a sudden you see my arrow come into the screen and it slams through him it smoked him it, it basically took out his heart like in a bad way yeah. two inch sever went right through his heart and he jumped and kicked and he went to went to basically run just bolt just freak out run straight ahead and that other buck jumps up to his feet so he sees the other buck and he tries to like swerve to the left a little bit he loses his footing and then he realizes there's a fence right in front of him and he can't jump and he just smokes the fence and the fence post was already broken off like it was just an old post yeah um, he didn't really wreck the fence much more but he sure squeaked it and he made his way over the fence and made it like 10 yards the other side and game over yeah dude i'm watching i'm watching it right now Okay, like yeah. I'm just watching, like I didn't, I didn't notice the ears pinning back. Yeah. Um, in the video previously. The What's that? Like one step before the arrow hits him. It's very like the video kicked on right, right before I shot. He makes like two steps and then I shoot. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you can see the other buck. If you watch it enough times, if you can see that second buck bedded on the far side. And both of those bucks at the exact same time had a, oh crap moment, right? One, one had an arrow in his heart and he was like, oh crap. And the other one's like, ah, the big guy's coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause he stood up like, uh oh, like yeah. he, it almost looks like he thought the big buck was coming for him. I, think so. I don't, well, he never knew I was there. And so right. I don't think what was going on at all. No. And that's just, has, have, have you had a lot of pictures of him or historical information on him hitting that scrape or coming through that area? Yeah, I probably, the other, the bigger buck that I have on camera, I have probably like, I don't know. I just got permission in August there. So I put the camera up and I probably have maybe 30 to 40 pictures and trail cam videos of the bigger buck coming through there in that three month span, which is a lot. Yeah. Usually I'll a deer if i if i find a mature deer on my other properties i'll get like maybe two pictures of them throughout the whole year before i kill them if i kill them if i ever even see them um and then this buck i think i have probably six or seven trail camera pictures um it's actually kind of funny because when i posted pictures of of the deer on instagram after i killed it um one of my good friends um was like dude you just killed my target deer 
And I was like, oh, apparently we hunt pretty close. So he had lost lost tabs on this deer. It was hanging out on his property where he hunted up until the beginning of November, he says, and then it just disappeared. Well, it showed up at my spot at the beginning of November. So it uh, basically moved from his spot to my spot and started living in this little this little draw, this little funnel. And uh, sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> how far away was the other, do you know how far away? I don't know, I don't know cause I don't want to tell him where I hunt and he doesn't want to tell me where, like we're good friends, right? I respect him and I trust him, but we just haven't, it's almost that unspoken thing. It's like we hunt close cause it's the same deer, but we don't really want to, <laughs> I don't know how big the property is. And he told me how big his property is, but yeah, it's, it's pretty tight. It's, it's very, very, very close to the city too. Like very close. Like there's subdivisions, acreages, houses all over the place. So I'm hunting, like my tree stand is like a hundred yards away from the landowner's house. Like it's like, it's pretty tight in there. Right there. Yeah. Okay. No, and that's that's interesting because my neighbor, I'm looking at his house right now out, out this yeah. window and him and I hunt the same piece of public ground okay. and we've hung out for like the last three, four years. We've become pretty good friends and we still haven't shared spots on the public. Yeah. <laughs> like no. we like, there's, there's general areas, which kind of like, I feel like everyone would know, but then you have your little honey holes that you're just like, I'm not telling you about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's and, fair. Yeah. I mean, like we know the deer, but I mean, I honestly try not to post. Some people know where I hunt. Some people know the areas that I hunt. I try not to post trail camera pictures of stuff until it's dead. Cause as soon as you post a trail camera picture, they're like, Oh, so if somebody knows I hunt one property, if I post a trail cam picture, they instantly think that that deer lives on that property, although it probably isn't, or it might not be. I've got, I don't know, six or seven different properties around the bow zone. So if I've got six or seven different properties, if you, if I post a picture of a deer, you're going to think it's on that property and you're going to put all kinds of pressure trying to think it, but it might be 20 miles away. Right. Right. So I just, I don't know. I don't usually share too much stuff public until it's dead because <laughs> Like, oh that deer must be on that property and the person hunted 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 and then killed my deer well not my deer killed killed the deer right whoever's yeah. truck home in, that's whose deer it is <laughs> <laughs> exactly and especially if you have if these are all permission properties too right mm -hmm. if you're like they might have permission too or they might have permission on their yeah 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 no that's fair what do you think about here's a question uh i talked to one guy i think last year on the podcast and he won't share trail cam pictures with the landowner because he had one time where he shared trail cam pictures with the landowner. And then that landowner told his like nephew or something. Then his nephew wanted to hunt because the buck was so big. And then he got the boot. Yep. Yeah. No, thanks. No. <laughs> Landowners are like, Oh, did you see anything back there? And I don't lie to him. Right. I'm like, yeah, I saw a deer or I saw a moose or whatever. Right. And they're like, what kind of pictures do you get with the trail camera and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, basically it triggers whatever walks by. And, and if they're like, oh, can you send me some of the trail camera pictures? I'll usually send them. I'll send them like, oh, look at this cute little spotted fawn that was in the back. Or man, you got yeah. a lot of colors there. And so I'll sort of beat around the bush a little bit if I can with the landowner. And I don't <laughs> or I forget to send them a trail cam picture. And I mean, I don't know, because I don't want my spots wrecked that way. Um, but at the same time, I'll still offer a landowner some meat from the animal. Um, and I don't know, sometimes like lots of landowners, if they hunt, they're not letting you on to hunt. So most of them are just good people that don't necessarily hunt, but they have nice land. Um, so 
oftentimes I won't even send them a picture of the deer that I shot. Cause I know how it works. They'll go to work and they'll be like, Oh, look at the picture. Look at the deer that somebody shot on my land. And then they're like, Oh, I've known you for 20 years. Can I hunt there too? Right. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them that I shot a deer and, uh, and I'll tell them then straight from my heart, I'll tell them like, Hey, I really appreciate you giving me hunting permission there. Um, and this is how I feed my family. Like for, I mean, my wife and I've been married for 15 years. I have never bought beef and I don't intend to ever. I've, it, my freezer's always full of it's either moose, elk, deer antelope whatever right yeah. so that's how we fill our freezers and that's how we feed our feed our families so i really appreciate people letting me hunt there so that we can fill our freezers and eat organic yeah meat. well for 28 dollars, you can you can fill <laughs> yeah, that freezer fill the freezer yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i think that's cost me i think tags cost me this year 250 dollars. i think i paid for all of my licenses all of my tags and uh i shot mule deer two white tails and a moose in the freezer so that that will hold us over till next year but i will need meat again next year like it's we eat a lot of red meat and we don't eat out much right mm. so it's, uh, yeah we eat a lot of meat dude that's awesome i mean yeah yeah i how many pounds of meat do you get off a of moose is it like uh, like 400 300 yeah really big bull off a really big bull like I trim every I debone everything and I trim everything so there is no sinew there's no fat no nothing on the meat um, when I put it in my freezer so solid deboned meat I get off a really big bull you'll get I weighed one year 450 pounds of deboned meat but off of a smaller bull you'll get like 300 pounds of deboned meat so it all varies it ranges in around there but you're looking at three four hundred pounds of meat yeah. um off of them yeah yeah and then three kids husband wife friends yes. I assume you have you I mean I know you don't have 10 friends but maybe you have like three so yes. we're they're really hungry friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. honestly we don't we we go through almost all that meat we get garlic sausage made every year too but we butcher our own meat so we spend the time the kids help us too we spend the time cut it up grind it wrap it put it in the freezer um and then we so we eat um if we're taking out a package of meat, we make big packages of meat. We have that for supper as a family. And then um, I always package a lunch up for the next day. So my lunches at work are always the same as we had for supper the night before. So that goes through more meat as well, but I don't buy sandwich meat, processed sandwich meat and all that stuff. It's like I've got, so if we have like steak and potatoes tonight, I'm having steak and potatoes and beans for lunch tomorrow, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's that. And and I mean, we, we've, we give, if we have extra meat, we'll... Sometimes we'll give it to family members that want the wild meat that don't hunt or whatever. Um, we also, the last few years, we tried to, we've got a, uh, we've got a friend a, a little bit uh, less fortunate, if you will, doesn't have tons of money. So meat is expensive and it's hard to come by for him. Um, so we, we pass on as much meat as we can to him to try to keep him and him and his son um, proteined up, if you will. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I think, I think that's something that as, as people, as humans, that I'd love to see people doing more of that, just being, just being kind, generous, just not out of obligation, but just being like, man, if I was in his situation, I'd sure appreciate a moose steak or two. Right. So just be kind to people really. Right. Yeah. Be generous, And if you're blessed, bless others. Yeah. Good message, dude. I like that. That's, I mean, well said. Well, the world and i'm not trying to toot my horn i just wish that more people were like that right you see some of that you hear some of that but unfortunately there's a lot of selfishness in the world right now and uh it's kind of makes me scratch my head for where the world is headed and humanity in the, in the coming years right it's 
Oh, man. What a time to be alive. <laughs> talk a, yeah, talk about a big can of worms topic right there. Don't go there. Don't go there. We don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe next time. Maybe when the kids are not ziplining in negative 40. Yeah, yeah. I don't think popsicles outside yet. So. Yeah. Um, so with, okay, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, fill in the freezer. Like, if, if you can, you know, you're obviously making, you're saving a ton of money. That's like. You know, a Colorado elk tag for me is, I think it's like $700. And my wife's like, really, you're spending 700? Why don't you just spend that 700 on, on this? And I'm like, well, Hey, I'm there for the adventure. Like I'm not, you, know, you can spend $700 on a plane ticket. I want to spend it on beating my ass up in the wilderness. Like that's what I want to spend it on. So, yeah, but the other, but the other piece is just like, yeah, I mean, when you take a look at it at $700 for, for an elk tag, if you look at all the meat and the type of meat you're going to get, and you would run that through like a, a meat market, it's going to be more than $700 what you get off of an elk. Um, so you're still going to be positive there. Yeah. However, um, I Maybe. would, what's that? <laughs> Maybe don't, don't take the cost of gas or plane and gear into that. <laughs> yeah. After losing money and your well, wife has. Well, we're not, we don't, we don't discuss those things with the missus. We yeah, just, exactly. That's like the, we're going to, we're going to, what is it? Uh, uh, depreciate those other assets right, over right. the course over of time. time. Yeah. Right. And we, we don't buy gear every year, just yeah. every other year. Complete, <laughs> sir. <laughs> um, so as far as, uh, so you're doing, you do all these hunts. I mean, you, you have all these hunts, you have all these opportunities in Alberta every year. You're trying to get an, a hunt in the States, which is really cool. I'm excited to see what, what that shakes out as next year. Um, you have higher ground media is that, and you kind of before we started going, I can't remember if we recorded this or not, but that's mainly photos, not a whole lot of video, except for, you know, you talked about that moose hunt, um, with your buddy, but like, it's a lot of, a lot of media. Who are you? Do you, I know you work with Hoyt. Who are, are, do you work with? Yes. Do you have an Easton sweatshirt on? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Easton. It's, I don't know. Like I, so <clears throat> with higher ground media, yeah, mostly pictures, a lot of pictures. I do film stuff as well. Um, actually did a sweet, I'll put a plug in for, for Hoyt. If you go to Hoyt's YouTube and, and look up cliffhanger. So that was a big horn sheep hunt that I did with a friend here this October, um, and had another friend come along and film. So we sort of tag team the filming and two of us were hunting and my friend, Brandon, he killed a stomper ram over the Is counter. That... Okay. I'm sorry. I, 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 before I even, I, I haven't put two and two together that that was you. That's the one where the ram was like stuck on the little spruce tree and about to fall off. Yeah, that was us. <laughs> so the film and the shot and stuff like that, that was me over, over Brandon's shoulder. Um, and that's me with him. So, yeah. So if you check that film out now, you watch it again and be like, Holy, that's Craig. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, that so was that an was awesome. Dude, I enjoyed that just for the, the, the video and the footage. Like I follow Hoyt and Matthews. Um, uh, there's a, there's a few others in there, but like you guys, the Hoyt team and the Matthew teams always put out great when they release the new bow, they always put out some pretty cool videos like with it. Right. Yeah. So I always try to stay on top of that stuff and watch yeah. it. This was, this was pretty cool. They sent us the bows. It wasn't long before the hunt. It was only like, I don't know. I think we got the bows like a week before the hunt. So we didn't have tons of time. So it was like, and you can't let anybody see them because they're basically, they're the launch. Yeah. Bows. Um, I've got a bit of a setup in the basement here and basically set the bows up in the basement. And then I had to ship Brandon's bow. He was working in BC, British Columbia. So I had to ship his bow to him. And then he had like one day to sight it in before the sheep hunt. And he's a killer. He's a 
heck of a shot. So um, he had the bow dialed in in no time. But yeah, so set those bows up and then keep them hidden from everybody else and and shoot photos and film and uh, and then get home and scramble to get it edited and send it over to Hoyt and they make some some changes to the edit and and then they uh, they launch it. So a lot of the photos, if you go to Hoyt's website, a lot of the photos are either my photos or of me on their website. So yeah, so I work quite closely with Hoyt, super good guys there. I mean, their bows are great, um, but super good guys there. Built a relationship with them over the past years. And uh, yeah, they've given they've given us, given me some pretty, really cool opportunities. And they've sort of rolled the dice on just a Joe Blow that loves to hunt. And uh, and it's and it's panned out pretty good for, for us in a relationship sense. And, and then I do, I mean, oh geez, some of the other companies work with is like uh, Easton Archery, um, Done some work with Stone Glacier. Got a relationship with uh, Sitka Gear, um, Dialed Archery. Obviously, uh, Taylor and the boys at Dialed. Um, they basically launched their their new sites this year. Um, a brand new company startup. Super good guys. So I actually worked really close with them. They sent me one of their Picatinny mounts um, to mount onto the new Hoyts and put it through the paces, made some suggestions for changes. Um, they made a bunch of changes to it. It was really cool actually to work through the process of being like, I think you should move this over X amount because I'm a machinist. So I can figure out how, how, and my brain works in that way. So it's like, yeah. I, need, I think you need to move that over 150 thou and you need to move this. And I think we should put that there and modify that. And yeah, that's great. And so going through all these changes with them and seeing it come out and then come into a production model is pretty cool. And then, uh, so they came out with their Arxo site and they have their mag, um, their mag zero one. And now they have their, so mag zero one is like our, their vertical single pin scope that mounts on their Arxos, which is their frame. And then, uh, and then they came out with a mag three V, which is a vertical three fiber pin. And, but the, the catch was now guys are wanting to mount different scopes to the frame. Right. So some guys love like UltraView scopes. Like I, I've got a relationship with the guys at UltraView as well. And I wanted to use the, the UV3 XL on the Arxos frame, but it was like, oh crap, I'm running out of travel left, right, which it's not a big deal because we can make an adapter. So as a machinist, it was like, this is how much we have to move it. So I machined a little, a real rough adapter piece to move the scope forward and over. And it's like, okay, these are the dimensions and the spacing you need. So now they've made that part. They've, there's actually a uh, their first prototype actual production um, part is in the mail coming to me. I'm supposed to get it this week. I got to put it on, make sure everything clears the way that we need it to. And then if it works perfect on the Picatinny and the Hoyt site with the UB3XL, then they will basically poof mass produce launch it'll be available for sale so um that's in the works it's it's pretty cool to be part of that process um and yeah. dealing with those guys they're they're great guys to deal with too right so um so that's kind of that's 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 the fun there um i've done some work for for yeti um gunworks uh wild sheep foundation i don't know a bunch of different yeah companies to cool companies to work with and really all of that boils down to there's better hunters there's better photographers there's better videographers out there but if any of your listeners want to down the road get into the hunting space of um, media or content creation i think the biggest piece of advice that i could ever give there is um uh, be full of integrity be honest um work your butt off try to think of how you can bring value to the brand rather than the brand bringing value to you. If you're in it for free gear, 
it's not going to pan out because they'll find out that oh, all he's in it for is free gear and he's not actually returning any value to us. You've got to think about how you can bring them value and the rest of the stuff will work in to play, right? Right. Build professional relationships and um, being able to charge for your work, right? Um, and yeah, basically build a relationship with the company and the people at the company so that you are trustworthy and bring value to their brand, not the other way around. Yeah, no, that's, that's very fair. And when you say like the other, the other big piece that I would even add to that a little bit more would be when you bring, when you want to bring value to those people, it has to be like me, like very meaningful value. You either need to provide some sort of like very documentable ROI, or you need to provide a, a, a product, a piece of media, whatever that is so great that, that you don't have to produce like actual dollar figures or anything back. Like if you just like, if you think quote unquote value is you taking a picture with your cell phone while you're out in the woods and you have the product, like, I don't know, in the background and it's just a, a standard cell phone picture and it's nothing special. And you're like, Hey, I brought you value. I posted this, like you should pay me or you should give me free stuff. Like that's not going to, they, they have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that will do that all day. Like you need you to got, go above and beyond what any sort of average person would be able to, um, yeah, you need to create. You need to think about, yeah, you need to be different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, and one of the ways of doing that is to build a relationship with them where they can see that they can trust you and consistently deliver on what you say you will. Mm -hmm. Don't over promise something and say, I'm going to create a X amount of, like a certain length of film and it's going to be great and it's going to have drone footage and we're going to kill three animals in it and stuff like that and it's going to be i want you to pay me this much money for it and then you go through and it's like you shot a doe and you didn't even get the you didn't even get it on film <laughs> right it's like you can't expect so don't over promise and under yeah um, yeah. yeah you're gonna get one chance you're yeah. gonna get one chance and you better deliver and if you deliver you're gonna get a second chance yeah. And if you deliver again, you're going to get a third. And maybe in the 10th chance, you can not deliver exact, uh, you can, you have a mishap or something. They'll be like, that's all right. You already did nine phenomenal things for us. Yeah. Right. Which to your point in the beginning, when we were offline, you're, you said, uh, man, filming stuff. Cause if you don't kill, like you don't get anything, like you don't really get a whole lot of media. Whereas if you phot photograph, you still have all the badass pictures along the way. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're two completely different, two completely different animals. And I mean, like, as far as a project I've been on, I've gone on a hunt where it was like, um, we're going to be doing a photo trip and you go on that photo trip. And the first day of the trip, the guy that you're going with gets like super, super, super sick. And we're on a mountain. So it's like, we got to get off the mountain and like, sorry, it just doesn't work. So, I mean, I phoned the company back and it was like, this did not pan out. This is what happened. Um, thoughts like I can send you your gear back or, or what right like obviously you can't charge them for that project and it's like no nope, we understand that that's that's hunting it is what it is and let us know when you have plans for another trip and we'll see if we can partner up for that so um if you're honest with people again be honest with people and and that usually goes that usually goes the furthest I always tell my kids I'm like I don't care what you did you just need to be honest with me and if you're honest with me it will always every single time go better than if you if I catch you lying to me don't lie to me don't ever lie to me <laughs> right right work don't lie to me yeah, exactly. yeah. don't lie to me <laughs>
I agree. I fully agree. I, my kids are three and one, soon to be four and two. Um, nice. And we're starting to get to where one of my four-year-old has told me like, mom said I could have chocolate. And I'm like, hey, mom, did you say you could have, he could have chocolate? And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, really? So we're like introducing what lying is like, okay, that's called lying. You can't do that. Yeah. Dad, I want some chocolate. <laughs> chocolate and saying mom said you could have chocolate is two different things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just ask me for chocolate because now you sure ain't getting it. Yeah. <laughs> like here's a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Parenting. There's no, I've often said there's no manual for parenting and the te techniques of parenting that your parents used is probably different because every kid is different too, right? So you have to use different parenting techniques on, on each kid differently and you just do the best you can and love them as much as you can and build relationship. But remember that you're not there to be your friend. They're, you're there to be their parent. So it's your job to teach them right from wrong. Right. Oh yep. man. That's like, man, we're hitting on a lot of great topics today that can go real long because I... I agree. Like I have people in my life where the parent is like trying to be the friend and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you're, yeah. Do <laughs> like, no, like it's gonna, there's gonna be like generally unconditional love anyway. You don't need them. Like you need them to be good people and you need them to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just like help them with everything and you can't be the cool parent. Like you need to be a parent first. And you can be their friend if you love them enough and they know that you love them enough and respect them enough and they respect you enough the friendship thing happens and time spent builds relationship but right. you choose to be a friend before a parent because if you won't discipline your kid when they need to be disciplined because you don't want to tick them off that kid will subconsciously figure out how to play you like a fiddle and it will not end well for anybody it won't Dude. right yeah you won't, you won't raise a good kid no no and kids are uh like my two-year-old, she's trying to do that right now by like screaming and crying when she doesn't get her way, right? Super. Yeah, dude. And they, uh, they figure it out. They, they figure it out. Like if I can scream and cry and then get chocolate, like that, I'm just going to scream and cry every time. Then I get chocolate every time. And then yep. you as a parent raise a kid that then thinks they can go to school or go to work and scream and cry and get what they want. And sorry. Like we all know adults like that. <laughs> right yeah. no, they, exactly. they figure that out like literally like months into the life weeks into life when i lay in my crib and i cry i get picked up and held and cuddled so i'll just lay here and cry until mom or dad comes and then all of a sudden it's like your kids in your bed with you because they wanted to be and all they figured out that every time i cry mom and dad pick me up and bring me into their bed now they're 12 years old and you still can't get them out of your bed <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah and the dad's just like come on get out of here and mom's like but but <laughs> i'll be gone someday right yeah exactly i don't care i want him gone yesterday <laughs> so oh man well hey craig i know your kids are are probably inside by now but i know you got family it's the day christmas eve eve as my yeah. wife calls it um, so thank you so much for hopping on. I really appreciate it. If people want to find you, hit you up, ask you about Alberta, ask you about Hoyt, ask you about any of the, the stuff you're doing, what's the, what's the best way? Uh, just hit me up on Instagram. Really? That's, uh, so basically at Craig Temple. Yep. So find me there. I've got a public profile, so follow me there. Send me a DM there. That's where you found me, right? Yep. So send me a DM yep. there. And, and, and I Craig try. checks spam. He's the yeah, check his spam it might be a week, but I'll check my spam. So <laughs> message on there. And uh, I try to do my best to 
interact and respond to everybody that I can on there. So um, I'm just, again, I'm just some regular dude that just has a family, loves to hunt. And, and I know that there's lots of people on Instagram that just love to hunt. So we're all the same. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I will throw your, uh, I will put your name, your Instagram handle in higher ground in the show notes of the, of the episode. So you'd be able to find it. Um, all right. Well with that, Oh, and last thing, go check out that deer video. It is phenomenal. That trail cam video. It is phenomenal. If you're listening to this, you haven't seen it on Instagram. Uh, it's on, it's on Craig's go to Craig's profile and it's his second reel or it's like, I don't know, his third or fourth post, something like that. Fifth post. You find it on there. The thumbnail is a big arrow sticking out the side of a deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous picture and, and camera, uh, trail cam video. So go check that out. Thank you everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, please like subscribe, tell your friends, tell them to check out Craig, tell them to check out uh, deer vein and we will go from there. Until next time, hope you all had a great Christmas and have an awesome new year plan coming up and be safe. Get off the roads by 11. And if you're planning on drinking, just stay over. All right. Catch you guys later.